Alright, so, welcome back to another episode of Duke Basketball Junkies. I am here with Peter Rowe. How you doing, Pete? I'm tired, Mike. We are two guys that went to Duke 20 years ago. <laughs> Both graduated in 98. We're and, washed uh, up. <laughs> we, uh, we are still talking about Duke basketball, and Duke has changed. It's different. It's different these days. Um, so what do you want to get into first? The, the Pitt game? The Wake Forest game since we last podcasted? Uh, Pitt was a blur. Why's your face all red? I was golfing. Oh, okay. I thought you were drinking or something. Did you have a beer on the course? I did not. Nothing? Nope. Okay. Just golfing. Okay. How the hell was the round? It's not bad. Yeah? Not bad. Good weather. Yeah. We're, uh, not a lot of good weather around the country, but in Vegas here, it's been nice. Yeah. It's really nice what is it? So it's, it's Wednesday, 3.30, 4 o'clock. Yeah. All right, so January 24th, one day after the Wake Forest game. Yes, it is. So we, we, we beat Pitt. We handled Pitt very easily at home. They're 0-7 in conference now. We beat them pretty easily on the road. And uh, same, so, same story we be at home. Of that? Well, I'm glad we handled our business, but like not a test. Pitt, to me, Pitt's been really bad. Worse than the mid-majors we played this year, for the <laughs> most part. Um Aside from that really, really shorthanded... Over, uh, over, under on the number of wins for Pitt this year in conference, ACC. Well, over, under, one and a half. One and a half. Uh, are they, they're currently 0-7 or 0-8? They're 0-7, so they got nine, nine games left or so. So, yeah, I mean... Under, easy under. Yeah, one or two is the number. Easy under, <laughs> I don't know who they're going to beat, but uh, I, th- I bet you at home they can beat. Maybe like, they, uh, maybe they'll play Wake, but Wake seems decent to me. I'll tell you what. So the Pit game, that big guy on Wake seems like a monster. Yeah, no, Pitt, no Pitt one had could very box little him to offer, but uh, yeah, the the kid on the kid on Wake Forest, that seven footer, he's a yeah. legit seven footer, maybe seven the, one. The, the Durham, more Durham Moore, the more guy, yeah, and they had two seven footers, but. Wake Wake seemed to play like very well in spurts, but they couldn't put it all together. Like sometimes their yeah. bigs were good, sometimes Childress was good, and then Crawford sort of came on in the end. But like they never pieced it all together. And so Brandon Childress is Randolph's kid. Randolph Childress's son. When we were at Duke, Randolph Childress killed us. Yes, killed us every year. He was actually, ripped our hearts out. He was actually one of my favorite ACC players to watch. I never saw him miss a clutch shot. Probably never missed a shot. 20 years ago in the ACC tournament, he crossed over somebody. The guy fell over to the ground. He motions for the guy to get up, and then he shoots a three, and he swishes it. That's the that's how much confidence he had in his game at the time. He scored like 115 points three games. I ACC never tournament. saw a guard relish playing in Cameron Indoor as much as, as Randolph Childress. It was pretty incredible. He must have had a real chip on his shoulder about like not going to Duke or something. He was just on a mission. He'd never really made it in the NBA, but yeah, uh, I assume he had a, a career somewhere. But uh, it's Same cool he, to see his kid. His yeah. kid's a little shorter, I think. Yeah, certainly not as good as Randolph, but no. um, but he got hot and yeah. uh, he looked good. You know, yeah. glad he had a good game. Good I feel like, I feel like Wake is a road, like they're better than their record. Uh, yeah, I agree. Well, they've looked. Competitive in, in both games against us. They're one and seven in conference. Uh, they have the same record that Pitt has overall. They're both eight and twelve. Neither are going to beat a, a postseason team this year, most likely. But 
It's interesting that we played both teams home and away. Very quick in, turnover. Yeah, in five games and yeah. in two and a half weeks. So even though even though I I feel good, I feel like our defense is is getting better. I feel like the right people are finding their shots, and Grayson and Trent especially are shooting well. There should be uh, a certain we should measure the exuberance because in the five game win streak, four of those five games came against Wake twice and. Uh, pit twice, and we almost lost by double digits to Miami, except for that little turnaround right. at the end where we had a good. So yeah, I, I feel I like we, I feel like this Saturday is just going to be. We should tell it should tell us a lot how far the the team has come along. I I feel like the team is has gotten better. We're eighteen and two, very good. Six and two in conference. We we both agree that they should have lost an additional game or two or maybe three. Uh, with the way they played, and we pulled out some, and it, there's something to be said for pulling out the game when it matters. So it but, means we're never out of a game. Yeah, this this team is super talented, and uh, I just think it's good to see them play tenacious defense. And against Wake Forest and Pitt, I, I thought the defensive intensity, the activity, and even the intelligence, the decision making was better. There was less obvious gaffes. Uh, and I thought in the first game, Wake exposed us a little more. Uh, you know, we made more defensive mistakes against them in the first game. Yeah. This game, I thought they they just made shots. Right. And they made they made plays. The they big made, guy really made some 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 nice moves, and uh, he was he cleaned beast, he, he cleaned he cleaned up a lot. And it got you know it didn't really get scary, but they did cut it to a single digit uh, deficit with maybe eight minutes ago and. Yeah. You know, if a, few, a road game. if a few things had gone differently, it might have been tighter. But you know, we played. You know, like you said, we took care of business. And, we were only uh, nine and a half point favorites in this game. Yeah, you know, so uh, this is a much tougher matchup on the road than the home game should have been. You know, theoretically. So, right. So yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad the team played well. I, I thought we we touched on some of the players a little bit uh, through both performances. Sure. Gar- Gary Trent has. Has like come off of that Miami performance, just super hot still, and all of his percentages are up. He's looking mint as yeah, a shooter. I don't, I don't know exactly what his ACC in conference numbers are, but he has to be somewhere in sixty percent range from three. Just he's shooting pure. Sounds right. I mean, he's basically in the last four games, he's uh, nineteen for twenty-eight. Is that right? Yeah, something yeah. ridiculous. I mean, that that's that's yeah. ridiculous from three point range. That's from yeah. three point range. So, uh, it's balanced out some of the. He went through a cold stretch. Yeah, the, sort like of in maybe ten, 10 games ago, he was shooting maybe thirty four percent from three or thirty three percent, and no, he's shooting forty three percent on the pe- season. People were saying this guy should shoot less, but you know, this guy's a ninety percent three point shooter or ninety percent free throw shooter. He can shoot as much as he wants. It'll it'll all even out. Yeah, he's clearly a really good shooter. We, we he should take every open shot he can get. Period. He's, he's same all, with same with Grace. Any open three pointer, Grayson, Trent, and Wendell Carter. Yeah, they should have a green light. <laughs> Gary Trent is almost as good of a shooter as Alex O'Connell. Oh, Alex O'Connell has a green light <laughs> for me as well. He's he's still, um, you know, maybe he's just getting lucky. You know, O'Connell. Yeah. His shot looks great. He's probably not a 50% shooter, but yeah. his shot does look great. 16 for 31. He, it's, he, it's he still, looked good last it night. It still kills me that he, he's, he just looks to move the ball immediately, like he passes immediately. Yeah, he's he, not trying to break people down often enough, but 
maybe he's not comfortable doing that at the college level yet. I, I do. I would like to see more screens being run for him. Or uh, any screens. Whatever the screen plays are for Grayson, when O'Connell's in the game, he, sh- he should get them too. Um, so I, I think they are running a, a few things, but even if he's just camped out, you know, for that uh, that sideline three, the corner yeah. three, that that's okay too. And he, he knocked one down last night, and it looked beautiful. Uh, so I'm glad he's got and some minutes. The crazy thing is that's the only three he took in the game. Was that the only three? I, I mean he, that that's what kills me is when he, he steal in a breakaway dunk. He, he takes it. It looks beautiful. I've seen him in warm up. He literally yeah. makes seventeen out of twenty when he warms up. And this guy, he he's not instructed to take. Hey Alex, take like four or five threes a game. Well, the good news is he was on the court for twenty minutes. Because the bad news is in twenty minutes he only took one three, but he didn't miss a shot last night. And uh, yeah, we should we, he, should, we should talk. He, he was on the court because um, Trayvon Duvall was. Essentially benched down the stretch for now, either going over eight or you know lack of physical D or it wasn't foul you know. trouble. He only had two fouls. He did go over eight. I thought he made some bad decisions, sort of forcing stuff in the lane. I mean, some of it was he just unlucky. An, he took an early shot clock three, which was like unusual. No, but it was wide open corner because Trent passed it to him. And I, no, no, no. I'm no, okay. No, with, he, and he totally airballed no, no, he, it. Where he overshot it. I'm not talking about that one. I think I'm talking about the other one. But, yeah, oh, no. the corner three that's wide open that gets rotated over to him, he's got to take. And, yeah, he missed it badly. Um, so I want to talk a couple things about Duval. But one is, yeah, the, I think I think it was just that the O'Connell lineup, O'Connell was playing well, and they were they were broadening he's, the lead. He's, he's taller and longer on defense. He, well, he obviously tries harder on defense. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's a better defensive player overall, Trevon. Trevon's probably more likely to get the you know higher incidence of steals, but he it's just the the game was flowing well with with Trevon out, so I think that's why he stayed out. I don't know if it's a benching or just let's ride the the lineup that's playing well kind of a thing. So it was working. I don't know if it's a yeah. you know I don't, we'll see how it plays out. We've been talking about you know wanting to see O'Connell play more minutes or you know Deloria as well or Bolden if he's you know, healthy, and like balancing out the the rotation a little bit. So, any any progress towards that, I'm I'm pleased with. Yeah. Um, you know, Duvall obviously was having an off night a bit. He went over eight. That's unusual. Uh, Especially considering yeah. most of his shots come from close, from penetration. Yeah, and he didn't he didn't score much in the pit game. He's had five points now total in those two games, and, uh, you know. He's he's young. Coach K said he was young. It's did you he know, talk about it after the game? Yeah, he said it. You know, like he said it wasn't really a benching. It's just you know, with young guys, there are going to be ups and downs. And he was just having a rough game. And I liked what I saw from Alex, and that's how, that's what I went with. Um, that sounds smart to me. And I I, I do but, think yeah, I've def- been I've def- been saying for a while. I I sort of like how the offense flows when Grayson's you know pushing Grayson. Despite the lack of his up and down scoring over the last couple of weeks, I mean, how many floor burns does a guy have from diving on the floor for loose balls, initiating fast breaks? He's had a, a lot of um, good alley oops to Marvin Bagley and nifty passes, a, a really long baseball length uh, type pass. He had a um, yeah, beautiful cat, quick catch, quick rebound, like his and his then sco- a, yeah a baseball pass. His scoring has been disappointing nice. so far this year, but overall, I feel like his impression on the game. Is multifaceted and great. We don't need him to score twenty to twenty-five points a game with these guys 
playing with him, which yeah, is dumb. Yeah, we got five, so, five scores on the floor. I mean, it came in handy against, what was it Michigan State where he went off? Yeah, but, and but even Indiana, out of the game. And Indiana, he scored 22 yeah, on very efficient, like 7 for 11 against yeah. Indiana. He's got a beautiful shot. We just don't need it every game. It's okay. It's yeah. okay if he's not like scoring prolifically on this sort of deep, deep team. But, yeah, I agree. He's been really playing hard on the defensive end as well. I still see issues on, on defense, of course. Like He's still sort of short-arming like in transition when he's the only guy between the person, you know, the yeah, like the I guy mean, with the ball in the basket, he usually will either jump out of the way or try for a, like a like a faint effort at a strip. It's uh, him and Duval both, I think, kind of do that. Um, but you know, that's not his strength. He's not a, he's not a rim protector, uh, right? And he, I don't think he exactly knows what to do in those situations. Uh, but yeah, I think Grayson's been playing great, and it's very encouraging. He's back on the uptrend. Gary Trent has been just shooting like a like a mother, and. Um, I, I love what I love the way Wendell Carter's playing. Yeah, we should talk. I mean, I mean, you, he's been you, the, you could you could argue over the last two games. He's, he's the best played, player. He's played better games. than Bagley. You know, Bagley for his yeah. um, transcendent standards so far has had a couple of subpar games. Yeah. But and the Miami game too. And the Miami. Yeah, game. yeah, yeah. Really well, he, yeah, he got hurt. Yeah. But Carter has been ridiculous. And and something that the announcer said yesterday in the Wake Forest game, he can effectively go left. Um, and, and shoot left and do little bunny things left that with his offhand that uh, Bagley cannot do. He is a more versatile offensive player. He is polished. He's he's got more well, actual skilled moves, whereas Bagley's more athleticism. He can he breaks guys down off the dribble from the post and yeah. can shoot from the three. Bagley is sort of inconsistent in, in various areas. Obviously, Bagley is the bigger. More athletic, kind of like probably has a higher ceiling, but and has, has put up huge numbers. But yeah. Carter's Carter's a little Carter's, more workmanlike about it. Carter's impressive. Carter's very impressive. Very efficient. Yeah. Like you, you don't, you're not, you're almost never going to see like a five for fourteen shooting night from him, which is why I like him. And Bagley you know. too. I mean, they're both efficient in terms of shooting percentage, and they both rebound. They're, they're just. There's beasts, man. Yeah, Car- Ooh, Carter's should... blocking. I feel like he hasn't been getting into foul trouble like he has throughout the year over the last couple of games. Maybe it's just a function of easy opponents, but but he played great against Miami and they were tough. And against Wake, it wasn't you know he didn't completely he didn't you know the the big guy from Wake played well and, and got some boards over him. Yeah, but okay, but he got his he yeah. got his even better, and he fouled him out of the game. You know that guy that yeah. guy picked up fouls because. Carter was was breaking him down in the post, you know, off the dribble. It was impressive. Uh, I'm with you, man. I, I, I really love Carter's game. I think, you know, as much as we whine and gripe about rotations, about whether the team's playing good defense throughout the game, and they haven't been always, right, uh, we, we can't really overlook how special it is to have two freshman big guys as good as these guys. These guys are going to be, you know, pros for 10 or 15 years. You're going to be, you know... But they're really great college players, even as freshmen. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, can't disagree with that. And it's becoming clear to me as the as we go on that Bagley is Bagley is not, you know, he's not a center. He's not. McCarter plays like a college center. Bagley Bagley plays like a wing player. Uh, he doesn't doesn't protect the rim. He's not. That's not his strength. He he likes to float outside. He likes to receive the ball outside. He, he's also a very good post scorer. 
I'm not saying he can't do anything on the inside, but he's not like a pure, you know, he's not a pure yeah. big man. He's certainly um, not a traditional yeah. low post center, but I still feel like he is a low post. That's his area of domain. You know, like that's where he's going to do the most damage. Yeah, or catching the ball 12 to 15 feet away from the basket, you know, making a juke and taking one strong dribble and getting to the rim. Yeah. Uh, but the two of them, because Carter can shoot from the outside, because Bagley can move so well outside of the paint and versatile with how he can receive the ball and catch and post low, post high, he's uh, they seem to play very, very well together on offense. And that's the reason we have such a – it's one of the big reasons we have such a great uh, – Great performing offense, and now if Trent and and Grayson are going to hit their shots consistently and play well, then it's great. You know the, the team is is primed. All we got to do is bring up uh, Trayvon's game, and yes. uh, utilize O'Connell a little more. Get maybe even get Bolden back for some minutes when the big guys are in foul trouble. You, and I like the way the team's shaping up. You worry about Bolden at all? You think it might not? So he's going to. S- s- like, MC- just be an injury. I think it's. I think it's clearly an injury. I think he's definitely an injury. Why wouldn't he be suited up? Uh, you think maybe like something happened and it's like stealthy injury. <laughs> he's really he's decided to transfer. I mean, I think he would have done it already because he could have saved the second semester. I mean, if that's what you're thinking. But MCL, they said it's a. They're actually specific about it. Or someone. Yeah, was. they said it was a sprain, like a like a like a level or, one, which is was supposed to be like the 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 the, the lowest. Right level of concern, so I just thought maybe a couple of games or whatever. But you know, I guess with bigs and injuries, it's better to be safe. And you know, we don't necessarily need him. It's not pressing this, especially against these opponents. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you. I haven't really missed him, but I know down the stretch when we're in, yeah, I haven't very competitive games. I've not missed him. I've not missed him either. Yeah. It's like it actually causes me some amount of anxiety and pain to watch him. Struggle, you know, he but right before he got injured, he played a game or two that was pretty good. So I think he, you know, I, I, it's a it, shame it's because gonna set he's, him back. because he's so raw. Yeah, he's like he's so uh, raw, he just doesn't have a ton of playing time, minutes, experience, and so he's he's got growing pains, and those growing pains are going to come in the future. Yeah, and it, it's 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 potentially he's he's going to be a four year player. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to decide to do, whether it's transfer from Duke or, you know, he could be eyeing next year as like, oh, that'll be my time. And maybe that's what they're telling him, you know. But mostly I'm sure right now he's just concerned about his health and getting back, you know. I mean, I don't know if he's able to run right now. I don't know if he's able to He to seems happy on the bench. He yeah. seems happy. And even Trayvon Duvall, when I watched him during timeouts at during this the tail end of the game, he seemed very engaged. He seemed supportive of his teammates. He didn't seem like a sulking type of, you know, crybaby. He seemed totally, oh, I'll say he this, seemed totally fine. I'll say this about Duval. He seems like a really nice kid. I mean, he does, he's smiling. He, he doesn't seem to enjoy himself. Like, I, I like him on a, you know, from afar, he, he seems like an enjoyable teammate. Sure. Um, so, yeah, okay, two good wins. I'm going to talk about his... Uh, Oh yeah, the uh, the other note about yeah. Duval is that an article came out, uh, an in-depth article on the Athletic. The Athletic's a subscription uh, service, uh, you know, bunch of local sort of uh, pro and college sports coverage. It's a network of you know Philadelphia has a lot of uh, has like a 
little concentration of sports writers, and I guess there's one, I don't know who, who wrote this piece about Duval, there's some coverage in the Triangle area, but um, but a really in-depth, uh, very surprising article was, was posted about uh, Duval having uh, real eye issues, real vision issues, uh, that were diagnosed when he arrived at Duke, uh, and that they've been training his eyes. He's had one kind of, I don't know, lazy or deadish spot in one of his eyes. He, he did, wasn't able to... Yeah, it's incredible what he did to be as highly touted as he was with effectively one eye. So I guess... I mean, they're, they're saying that the other eye was effectively either non-functional or he's he's just seeing out of one eye. Right, he had some somehow, something had happened <clears throat> and he did... He had been only utilizing the vision fully in one of his eyes. You know, read the article because we're not going to do it justice. But at some point in the sixth, seventh, eighth grade, he was told that it would never get better. Right? Yeah, and he tried like wearing that. glasses; it was uncomfortable, so he he never you like know, special goggles. Right. And the yeah, he's just played with it as like a handicap, which you know, to me, you know, <clears throat> makes sense. You know the. Because brought into if, focus, like, oh, no wonder he's so off on these these, these outside <laughs> shots. <laughs> shots. And <laughs> and then no wonder he's seemingly yeah. maybe gotten better because they've been apparently making progress and working on this throughout the few months. And, and like, Coach K had a quote in there talking about, like, just how how lucky, or, or maybe he had the quote or his dad or somebody was very happy that they had figured this out and that it was going to improve now. And right. It was going to... You know, no longer be a handicap potentially down yeah. the road. I mean, just growing up, your vision, I guess once Trey accepted his vision for being what it was, he just thought that's how the world was and didn't know any better. And now they, I don't know if it was an invasive surgery or they it was corrective, but it's it's corrected, but he still has to go through a lot of eye therapy. A lot to, of like, to like just, rehab. Yeah, like just, just to like get acclimated to it. And so... Just his something as basic as his vision, he's sort of getting used to it. And I don't know if it's just a confirmation bias type of thing, but I think I see him just like squinting on the court or like just trying to like get his eyesight focused. I just, well, I don't know. Yeah, I just don't, I don't know how much of this to sort of credit into his account for like an, as an excuse. For his or, uh, perimeter shooting, right? And I don't know, like, if if it's if it's like straight line progress, and like, yeah, as the season goes on, he's going to get better and better seeing the court. Yeah, but but it makes, also it, you mentioned yeah. like his peripheral vision has improved. Yeah, like in the short time they've been working on this. Yeah, so it, it could be the most of the benefits of this are going to be in the future as an NBA player. But uh, it's great. It's great. It's cool. It's cool that the Duke Medical can, hopefully can for us in March and April. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so I guess it explains it, some of the shooting woes, some maybe, of the yeah, stuff. maybe, maybe. Um, but it, it, it also ex- it explains the style of game. You know, mm-hmm. like he's so ferocious in attacking the basket. It makes sense that he would do that because he can see the basket from up close and from twenty twenty five feet out. He's maybe guessing where he's shooting. And maybe it explains some of his reticence to like defend an unpredictable offensive player in front of him. You know, and just sort of go for the steal rather than have to stay engaged. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's I mean, hard to know how yeah. it affects. We, we him have exactly, no idea how, how it affects his orientation on the court. It still doesn't affect. It still wouldn't affect his lackadaisical transition D at times. There's 
just yeah, an excuse decision. for that. Well, there's some decision making. I, I, but this contextualizes a lot in terms of makes know, it more sympathetic. I think. Yeah, I mean, as a fan, I read the article and I felt like an asshole for being so harsh on him. When you know, we don't know what's going on in the background. You know, yeah. like we just we don't know, and all we do is criticize. Felt like an asshole. I agree. So I'm sorry. Shout out to uh, Trayvon <laughs> Duval and the uh, Duke Duke Guy Doctors, and, uh, and, and hope, hopefully it gets better and better. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, okay, uh, the other really really big story, and uh, I thought about leading off the podcast with this, but huge story it's, it's coming really, out of nowhere is uh, Zion Williamson, uh, a top three prospect and YouTube god, dunking god. Uh, he, he commits to Duke. He announced it on the 20th. He had a press conference. And I, I don't know about you, but... I either heard or read from multiple places that we had no shot with this guy. Yeah, the speculation was no that shot. we were not getting him. Yeah, we're out of and the it, running. And there was like a rumor that Clemson, he, is, he was definitely going to commit to Clemson. Clemson, South Carolina, Kentucky, yeah. UNC. I mean, he's from South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, but... You know, that's certainly with it. And we don't usually get a lot of players in there. Um, but, I mean, I can understand why you wouldn't want to go and, and play, at, at, you know, in your home state in South Carolina or Clemson. So, but, but people thought he would go to Kentucky, if not Clemson. Okay. Uh, that, was, that was the prevailing logic. And then, um, here's what I did. I, when he was about to make his announcement, and he, like, reaches down to pull, like, the jersey or the hat out, Right, I hit pause on my TV and I start frame by framing it because I want to get the sweat like I'm squeezing my whole cards, and and I'm like, and he takes forever to like find the the hat right like it, it like I thought it was gonna be a two second thing he was gonna pull out the hat but it, it, it took a long time frame by frame eventually he pulls it up and the first flash of color because Carolina was, is also was Kentucky blue. It was light blue. It looked light blue, light like, blue to like me. Carolina. And I'm like Carolina. Oh my god! I like stopped. I stopped forwarding the the video because I was so shocked that, that Carolina had actually gotten a top recruit. Yeah, and then I thought, wow, maybe this will be a really fun rivalry next year with this guy who you know has this, incre- this incredible dunker after Jordan and Vince Carter. They're gonna get Zion and like. I started picturing and it. Reestablished the UNC elite. I hit frame athlete, recruit. I hit, I hit frame forward again and again a couple more times. Mike, you're sick. And like, it still looked light blue. And I thought, oh, it's a little. Maybe it's a little darker. And I had already decided he wasn't coming to Duke once I saw the light blue. And like I'm thinking, what are the other schools on his list that have light blue? And uh, he, and I just hit play, and he sticks on the Duke hat. And I'm like, oh, I'm a dunk. I, I totally misread the the squeeze. Do you think anyone else in this country did that? Uh, Froze it and then did it slow slow motion to like just extract the most amount of drama from it? You sound sick to me. Like there's something wrong with you. Listen, I'm an Eagles fan, and when the Eagles played the Falcons last week, and I'm watching the game all by myself, you know, all tense and sweaty at the end when Matt Ryan's about to. Has Throw one, the game-winning touchdown one to Julio play. Jones that the, was so cold that Julio's hands couldn't like close fast enough. The entire play from the snap, I hit pause. I couldn't bear to and watch you, it in real you did time. Just frame. snapshot by snapshot. Yes. Wow, you're sick. And then 
And then only after I saw that likely the path of the ball was going to be beyond him yeah. did I hit the eight-second rewind button and watch the play in real time. I just, you know, I, I don't have the makeup anymore. It's very like, unusual. Yeah. Very, I, like, I like to know immediately. Yeah. I, I, I don't like the drawn-out process. Um, I want to be disappointed slowly. Anyhow, it's, it turns out to be Duke. Yeah. And which, you know, so I went through this high and low, and uh, we have the number one, number two, number three recruits, plus Trey Jones, who's number eight or number ten in the, in the class. But also the number one point guard in the class. Number one point guard. And it's it's in, it's insane. I, I went on a deep dive today looking at, at highlights and reading about each of these prospects. Uh, did, did you want to... Give your negative reaction, like what you're you're feeling guilty before I get into the guys. Ne- negative? Well, you you you, you could, we kind of texted and you you were like, oh my god, this is too much, right? Like oh, you feel yeah. like this yeah, is yeah, like it's it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I feel too like much. it's embarrassing. What do you mean? Break it down. Break it down, Peter. What's embarrassing? Too much good uh, stuff. Yeah. Too much of a good thing. I mean, you're not embarrassed at all. Who are you embarrassed? Like who who are you embarrassed? exactly uh, I'm embarrassed because it's just not a level playing field it's not we it's not guys want to come here come to do too much now and we're getting every yes. guy but we yes. didn't get Mo Bamba and we didn't get Kevin Knox okay but look at our last three re- recruiting classes including including the upcoming class we're getting like three or four of the top 10 or 12 guys we're getting like two, two, two or three of the top three or five guys. It's uh, embarrassing. <laughs> uh, do you feel? Do you feel less? Do you, I don't understand. Like, like so, we so, talked about this. The so, old Duke identity is that we have a few really good players, but also some underdogs on the roster. Yeah, do you feel like okay, we're, so. we're two big of favorites every year now. Like not. Obviously, the one undone is an issue with how they play defense yeah, I, and I team mean, basketball. I think, I think it's going to change eventually, but it's um, just the continuity, the year-to-year is missing. Um, doing things the Duke way, I feel like, may have gone by the wayside. And uh, there was something I read that would actually encapsulate my, my, my feelings on this. Like, I, I made a, a minor stink of Marvin Bagley asking for and getting Danny Ferry's retired 35 number. Yeah. When I saw Marvin play, I was like, okay, if you're better than the guy whose jersey number you're asking for, that's okay. My understanding is that for Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson, if you don't know, at one time he was the number one recruit in his class. He's He's been dunking since the junior high. He's like an internet phenom. He's got like over a million Instagram followers Roy Williams, to my understanding, told him, look, Zion, you're the best player I've seen since Michael Jordan. <laughs> like, we need you at UNC. And my understanding, I don't know if this is verified, but I heard on a different podcast that they offered him, because Zion likes number 12. He wears number 12. They offered him UNC jersey number number 12, which is retired. Bill Ford's number. Okay. okay. He doesn't go there. He comes to Duke. I would be quite upset if the guy who currently wears number 12 has to give that number to Zion because the guy who currently wears number 12 is like a quote-unquote 
old school Duke guy, a guy who's waited his turn, does things the right way, cheers on his teammates from the side. Javin Del- if I see Javin Delore wearing like number 18 next year and Zion Williamson wearing number 12, I will like Duke even less because. What the heck are you talking it's about? Like you're, you're like se- you're worried about out. some hypothetical that's not even going to happen, probably. Like, this is why you, you, you feel you're, like instantly Zion Williamson, one of the, he could be one of the all time greatest basketball players in Duke history. Even in the NBA, his upside is huge. He could be like Charles Barkley, Draymond Green, that kind of player who is popular and amazing and athletic, comes to Duke, and you're like, wait a second. Wait a second. This guy wants Javin's number. This guy might want one of our guy's number, and like, who who cares if they work something out? But but why are we even debating this? It's like... There's a certain way you go about doing things, and it's clear <laughs> that Coach K... You're just thinking is, Coach is K like, is playing that ball game now. Yeah, he's like, hey, guys. He, he's like, Jab and Jab and come here and sit Do you down. Think You've done what? everything great your first two years. You're projecting perfectly. You're going to earn a lot of time. Your senior year, the team's going to be yours. But for next year, you're going to have to give up your number. I didn't think we would be talking about Jab and Delaria's number here. I think, I think, I, I, I don't know what you're it, talking it would about. Just that rub, hasn't happened. It would rub me the wrong way. Just you're saying. imagining a, a possibility of something might happen that would rub you the wrong way. Let's, let's talk about what's happening, though. What's happening is people, kids are recognizing the value of the Duke program, right? So one yeah, thing he mentioned... That's another thing. So, like, when he pulls on the hat, he's like, I've decided to join the Brotherhood. Doesn't that sort of sound like the Illuminati? He got asked. He got like, asked immediately when, by, when by did the that Sports happen? Center guy, when, when, why? When was Duke says, referred to as the Brotherhood? Just like, is that just the last two or three years? Great question. Did Coach K and his PR machine say, okay, hmm... We gotta like figure out like how best to brand, like push out our brand. We'll start calling ourselves the Brotherhood. So here's the thing: the one thing I noticed what from his press conference, and he didn't say much really, was that he mentioned the Brotherhood. Why did you go to Duke? It's I wanted to join that Brotherhood that they talk about, and you know, it's a it's becoming a real thing. It started out. I don't know if it started out as a hashtag, or I just noticed it as a hashtag. But um, I asked, I texted. It had to have been just like two, three years, right? Like it, when Kyle Singler was there, it wasn't the Brotherhood. I don't remember. I don't know if it goes back that far. I, my, my lot, I was thinking maybe this is something Jeff Capel, has, as, a, as the recruiter in chief. Capel is has, very, very, very important in all this. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Capel's done a great job in the recruiting. Uh, but I, I reached out to, to our sources uh, and I was told that. The Brotherhood was something Coach K came up with. Uh, it, you know, he was the one. It, it's part of his, uh, you know, philosophy. It's something he he started espousing, uh, and it's obviously working, right? So yeah, Coach K is very good at building the Duke brand, and he's added on this corollary of the Brotherhood. And what the Brotherhood does is we take care of each other even after you leave. Yeah, you're only here for one year. But you're part of the brotherhood for life. And it's the same stuff as being part of the fraternity, part of the alumni, whatever you want to call it, part of the program. Because there's such stability at the top of the Duke program, and because we're getting all these guys going into the league, um, there is this usually unspoken thing, but they're saying it out loud. And they're saying, you're going to be part of something, not just for one year, but for life, right? 
And no matter what happens, we're going to take care of each other. We're going to look out for each other in the league or in pro basketball or through coaching. When you look at other – I don't know if there's any other programs where uh, a coach has had all of his players, only players, for 15 or 20 years get all the coaching jobs, rise through the ranks. Even the guys that don't make uh, you know, a serious living in the NBA, like John Shire, even Nolan Smith who was drafted but didn't stick in the league because of injuries – Nate James, you name them, they, they come through the program and they, they get they get good outcomes sort of from the professional career that way. So uh, I also wanted to mention that the same source told me it wasn't Jeff Capel who uh, led the point on uh, Zion. Zion. It was Nate James. Nate Dogg. Nate Dogg uh, should be given a lot of credit for Zion committing to Duke. And, you know, I think Zion wanted to be, you know, he must have liked the other the other big dogs that came in from recruiting wanted to be a part of something special next year, but also wanted to be a part of that Duke program, the Brotherhood for Life, and he bought in. And if everyone's buying in, it's a real thing. So John Calipari had something to say about it, though. Uh, did you see John Calipari's comments? I did not specifically see it. John Calipari says <laughs> his reaction to Zion uh, you know, he must have been letting off some steam in a press conference. Uh, this is in direct response to the brotherhood concept about taking care of each other for life, you know, or being part of something for life. He says, I don't sell like when you come here, the university and the state will take care of you for the rest of your life. You may buy that, but I've got some great property and swampland down in Florida to sell you too. And it's, if you don't think he's talking about Duke, the, the next thing he said was about Duke. <laughs> So he was definitely talking about Duke. Uh, he then said, every one of us in the country is based on, he's talking about coaches, you've got to take care of yourself. And then when you make it, you make sure that you're helping others. And along the way, you bring other people with you. And that's what we're trying to do. Just give these guys the best opportunity. We're not trying to say this university or this state will take care of you for the rest of your life. There's no socialism here. This stuff, you've got to go. Do it, and we're going to help you do it. Some crews like that. Some don't like that. I, don't know. I think he's like sounding a little half-cocked at that point about socialism. I'm not sure. Yeah, but sort of some weird, some weird spiteful kind of comments. like Basically saying, what's he, what are they talking about? Brotherhood. Like We're going to take care of each other. This is about you. He's saying, like we're going to help you develop. You're on your own, but you're, you know, like that kind of. Uh, thing rather than becoming, you know, Coach K talks about becoming something part of something bigger than yourself, right? right? That's what he's getting people to try to buy into. It's a leadership concept. It's it's a life concept, and these kids are buying into what he's selling. He must he must be a great closer in the room, and even better now than he was ten twenty years ago. I I've heard he's an incredible closer. You know, like I've there was a different like I've heard. Um, I don't like Shabley Randolph, Daniel Ewing in a, a podcast where they're just talking about their Duke days and they all say, Coach K gets you in that trophy room and he says, this is how I envision you for the Duke program. Like, he's an incredible closer. But I will have to maybe listen or watch the entirety of the Calipari interview because I, I just know how things work. Like, a lot of times they could be taken totally out of context um, you know. Well, let's listen. <laughs> let's listen, because he actually, there's a short snippet here uh, on the page I'm looking at, and shout out to SB Nation uh, on this, but here it is. 
Oops, that didn't work. Basically, oh well, that didn't work. I'll cut that out of the podcast. Essentially, he uh, he goes off and uh, he says, talks about how his his guys have made a billion dollars in the NBA, right? And he that's that's what matters, you know. So it's definitely a slightly different slant on the message of how we're going to help you. They're yeah, talking about I mean, like pure I mean, player development. Right. Coach K is talking about sort of joining joining something that's more than about basketball. You know. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you buy it? Um. Oh, here it is. Here's the quote. Here we go. Ready? We don't get every kid. I've said that all along. We get the ones that need to come here. Others choose not to, and that's fine. That's their choice. Um, obviously, the kids that have come here are worth over a billion dollars. <laughs> what a clown. I mean, come on. What are you doing? This guy sounds petty, you know. And maybe maybe Coach Calipari gets more bent out of shape out of losing a big recruit than he does out of losing basketball games. Well, I mean, one. And it's for, been three for, years of yeah. losing big recruits. He's been getting not, he's not losing. He's getting clobbered. Yeah. I, I know you're a big Coach Cal fan, you know. I know you've I've converted. grown to really like the guy. He's a lovable <laughs> buffoon. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think his podcast ended for some reason. Oh, did it? Well, yeah. I don't know. Coach K wins. Duke wins. Zion Williamson, by all really really looks like a hell of a player. And by all accounts, he's like a great kid. Just, yeah, just humble, funny, like a good spirited kid. So I've seen yeah. multiple multiple savvy coaches and players compare him favorably to Charles Barkley. A young Charles Barkley who I've, used to. I've also seen him com- being compared to Julius Randle. I've seen, yeah, I've seen a, a basically a more, you know, a more a talented high, high end, low end, more talented Julius Randle, uh, like Charles Barkley ish. I've seen him compared to Draymond. Sort of has like a, like a wide body. He's six five without shoes, six 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 and a half with shoes, two seventy. And what's interesting is with Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett are really like wing players, like they're guards and wings. Uh, they're big, tall, long, athletic, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them. We're playing positionless basketball these days, but they're, they're, they're guys that are going to handle the ball and shoot and distribute. Uh, Zion, they're saying, might be most effective as a, as a five, as a small ball five, essentially, because he protects the rim, takes up a lot of space, finishes at the basket, can post up. He's less of like a, a shooter. Um, even though he's only really 6'6", six, six, uh, you know, if Bolden doesn't come back or if Bolden really isn't good enough to start next year, I could see Zion being the starting the starting five for us. Sure. Uh, that's what they're saying might be the most effective thing. And uh, you just... It'd seem, be a very short team. Well, I think this guy is as a... You know, it's a, maybe a little, a little like Bonzi Colson, uh, like a more impactful... Defensive presence, though, than Bonzi Colson. Right. But, uh, yeah, it would be a shorter. Shorter, I mean, but but still, this guy's big. He's nice short, but he's big. You like, know? like, let's say Gary Trent stays, and the starting lineup would be Trey Jones, Gary Trent, R.J. Barrett. Um, I don't think Gary Trent stays. Cam, Cam Reddish and uh, Zion Williamson. This this uh, Moore kid on Wake Forest, who's going to guard that guy? This guy's going to have, like, six inches on everyone. Yeah. I mean, look at Draymond guard guys in the NBA. He he's a dominant defender even against taller guys. Like this guy is special enough to pull that kind of thing off. But but uh, it's a di- different you know 
Diff- it would be a different play style than we're playing this year for sure. Sure. But like, look up how bad our defense is this year with two legitimate like big men, tall big men. Right. Like height, height, you know, height isn't the thing necessarily. Uh, we have to see him play obviously to get a real feel. But uh, the lineups next year are going to be interested. Interesting. Uh, I'm assuming all those guys are gone. Duval, Trent, Bagley, Carter, and obviously Grayson's gone. The entire starting lineup gone next year. Let's assume everyone else comes back. Let's assume Bolden comes back. Let's assume, you know, we don't get any other recruits. I think those are all of our scholarship offers that we have. I've read that we have no outstanding offers out for this incoming class. Right, but I imagine there will be some additions after people declare for the NBA. Okay. But let's say there aren't any. What would you guess would be the, the lineup next year? Well, it's the four incoming guys and plus one. Right. Would you, do you think it's going to be Bolden? Would you would you imagine it's Bolden in the lineup? Would you imagine it's Delorier, Alex Connell? I would say right now probably Delorier wearing number 17. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I could see it. Yeah, I could see Delorier. You know, it would be pretty wicked to have Alex Connell coming off the bench again next year. With, like, a motivated Bolton and, you know, I don't know who else exactly is going to be getting the minutes. Jordan Goldwire. Uh, Maybe Jack White, Justin Robinson. One thing's for sure, it, unless any of the guys we don't expect to come back, come back, these four freshmen, Trey Jones, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Zion Williamson, I'm pretty sure we, we know they're going to start. I mean, they're just another next level talent. Start. Yeah. You know. Oh, you know. I could see Alex O'Connell being the fifth guy and us playing a little smaller. Um, okay. But, yeah, the, the, next next year is looking even more more talented than this year. And there's a – we don't have – we've never had recruits this high on the board. One, two, and three is, like, unprecedented. And it's 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 crazy. Um, it You know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I know you're a little down on the idea of the one-and-dones every year. I think the NBA may – Ended at some point, but for now we should just enjoy the talent. Uh, and John Calipari can go fuck himself. Um, not very nice. Not very nice. Not very nice. <laughs> he deserves it, man. He deserves it sometimes. And sometimes he deserves a pat on the back. You know, he's not the worst guy, but once in a while he acts like an ass clown. You know, John Cheney's got to go and like threaten to choke him out, and I got to I got to tell him that, that was a long time to go. ago. <laughs> and if you haven't seen that video clip, you should go watch it. It's priceless. All right, and uh, just to put it on the record, I'm going to say Zion Williamson is like Charles Barkley. Cam Reddish is going to be like Ray Allen. And RJ Barrett, I don't have a good one for him yet. My understanding was Cam Reddish is more well-rounded. Ray Allen seems more of like a specialist, just a shooter. If you watched him in college at UConn, Ray Allen... Could do it all. Oh, yeah, man. He could finish... Uh, I mean, I do think Reddish looks a little in his highlights. He looks a little like a like a like a cross between Ray Allen, Brandon Ingram, Harrison Barnes, that kind of lengthy, pretty athletic, but not super forceful athletically. Like not not a little wiry, you know. Yeah. Um, he's got length, and apparently he's a really tenacious defender. And Barrett is also really long. He's six six with a six ten wingspan. Reddish is six eight with a seven one wingspan. Zion Williamson six five six six with a seven foot wingspan. Wow. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty compelling. 
Some wide wings. Some, a lot of length. A lot of length. Jay Billis is going to be happy. For what? Jay Billis loves length. Okay. Just watch him in the draft. Uh, okay. He loves motors, too. Yeah. Hopefully they have motors and they like playing some defense. Uh, this year's team, we got to watch to watch these guys for a couple months. Yeah, I we think, got UVA I think coming this, up. this Saturday game is really... Um, I, I mean, I like these stiff tests that come up because it's going to tell us a lot about how far we've come along, both you know, offensively and defensively. Virginia, as usual, is an incredible defensive team. They held a top 25-ranked team to 36 or 38 points just a couple days ago. Yeah, they beat Clemson 61-38, I think, or 36. Yeah, and it's, they, it's incredible. They forced 20 turnovers. It's incredible. And uh, they, held, they held them to something like, 35% field goal percentage, 15% from three. It'll be... It'll, in a slow game with limited number of possessions, 20 turnovers yeah. against a, a really good team like that, it's very, very impressive. I sort of feel like when, we, we, when we've when we played them the last few years, we, we tend to speed them up. Because I, I, I recall... I, I want to say that the games are in the 60s and 70s. They're not like in the... I mean, nobody's holding us into the 40s, 30s or 40s or 50s. I mean, there's a shot clock, so they can't they can't really slow it down that much. But you know, most of Virginia's games are they don't look like there's not less than 100 points scored. You know, it's not that's not the usual thing. Right. Um, and look, they scored in the 60s against Clemson, uh, even in a slow paced game. Uh, yeah, I mean, I imagine that our our game against them will probably be played in the 70s. You know, if we if we beat but, them on Saturday, I will like our chances this year. Yeah, I just I just want to see us compete the right way, make good decisions on offense, uh, and you know, keep really keep making good decisions on offense. We, we're doing a really nice job on that end, and I'd like to see us continue to improve on, improve on the defensive end. And we play Virginia and then Notre Dame Saturday and Monday, both at home. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame's a little shorthanded. Sort of struggling. I don't know if they're going to have Colson back I, by I then. I definitely don't think Colson will be back. I think yeah, Farrell so, is back or might be back. So if we do beat Virginia and then don't have a letdown game against Notre Dame, we'll be looking really good, you know. Uh, and then Carolina's, Carolina's, Carolina's the, the still following week still struggling. But Actually, yeah, I guess I mean, Carolina's Carolina's two weeks from tomorrow, so that game looms in Chapel Hill. Never too early to to look. Circle it on the calendar, but uh, this Virginia game, I'm excited about it too. Me too. So let's uh, let's get back together after probably after the Notre Dame game, right. unless the Virginia game is like an all time classic, and uh, we'll uh, we'll go from there. Sure, sounds good. You want to do? Uh... Yeah. So the other thing we're gonna do, I guess, is we're gonna tack on uh, the second part of our uh, conversation with Devin uh, Gordon about uh, Duke in the NBA. Who we like, how people are doing, biggest surprises, biggest letdowns. And I want to say in part one, we talk maybe more about just bigger macro type Duke trajectory type things. And in this one, we get into the more nitty gritty. We actually talk about player, players in the NBA. So Player by player. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. Yeah. And, you know, the conversation at this point, I guess, is uh, maybe like two or three weeks old. but uh, Just a tiny bit outdated. Yeah, it's not really. All, all the All the... Player talks mostly mostly current. I don't think we knew at the time that Emil and Marshall had gotten the the two way contracts, but uh, yeah, uh, I thought it was a good conversation. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it, uh, and uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Sounds great. All right, we'll end the podcast.
the guys that are in the NBA and uh, maybe go through sort of, uh, you know, have you present your, uh, your, your, you know, it took us 45 minutes to get there, but uh, I present sort of your uh, most surprising, most disappointing, best players, <clears throat> guys that give us the most street cred. Uh, <clears throat> I figure we could, we can get into it now. Do you want to, while we're talking about Okafor, we can start with the bad news. Who have been the three, three or four most disappointing players, uh, in your opinion, uh, to come out of, uh, you know, out of the set of guys that are kind of in the NBA or just out of the NBA uh, from Duke? Do you want to, do you want to go through those? Um, yeah, well, I mean, who else obviously, disappointed you besides Okafor? <laughs> obviously, Jaleel Okafor has, is, is, the, is the number one on that list. Um, I mean, I, I, number two, just because, okay, there are 21 Duke players in the NBA right now, and there are a handful of them who are not disappointments because I didn't, you know, I didn't expect much from Miles Plumley. In fact, his career, I would say, has gone better than I ever thought it would. Um, I didn't expect much from Josh McRoberts, and he's been maybe a little bit better than I thought he would be in the NBA. Um, so this is, it's, there are only so many players that that's possible. So number two kind of breaks my heart, but I guess it's Justice Winslow. And it's still an incomplete because this is literally his second NBA season. And he's like, what, 21? I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, his first two and a half years of the NBA has been a little bit of a disappointment. I'm, I'm worried that he is never going to score well enough to, to make it in this NBA. So that's, and that has come along slower than I, than I thought it would. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think so it's, that makes it's fair. That I mean, makes based, on, based on his expectations, I mean, you know, there's a guy who would have been better off going to Boston as well. But, you know, he's had a lot of opportunity. He started many games. Uh, and he kind of, kind of keeps floating back into the starting line. If you can see, they want him to be that guy who's a 3 and D guy. Um, but the 3 isn't there. <laughs> his D is pretty good, but it's not, it's not, it's not dominant. And they thought he might be a dominant defensive player. Um, what do you think about Winslow, Peter? Peter o- Okafor is obviously has to be on the, the top three disappointments. Do you think Winslow belongs on the list? I think he's certainly tracking that way. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I read an article maybe <clears throat> months ago, maybe like an Andre Roberson type where he's such a big liability on offense where the yeah. defense can just play five on four because they just play off him. You know, he's such a bad outside shooter. I mean, yeah, what my hope for him is that he is so athletic that yeah. the, the jump shot becomes, you know, if he's a 34, 35% three-point shooter with his athleticism, you know, if he continues to be a very improved as a defensive player, he definitely has a chance to be a starter, you know, a sort of smaller, more athletic Shane Battier, who is offensively a very different player. But, like, I really thought, like Danny Ainge did, because Danny Ainge was going to trade four draft picks to take Justice Winslow. No, 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 that's true. That's true. That is, <laughs> that is a true thing that happened. And Michael Jordan said, no, 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 I'm taking Frank Kaminsky. That's a real thing that happened. And obviously Danny Ainge <laughs> saw um, um, Jalen Brown 
as a very similar player to Justice Winslow. And it is interesting to wonder if Justice Winslow had gone to Boston, if his career would be more like Jalen Brown. I, I actually think Jalen Brown is a better NBA player. Um, he's more yeah. athletic. He's a better defender. And so if I'm, you know, I guess if I'm being honest, yeah, I don't think, you know, I thought Justice Winslow was, was, was a potential Kawhi Leonard player, and he's not going to be. Um, yeah. He's not going to be. And yeah, it's going to be disappointing so, if governed by our expectations in the first place. So if we had no expectations, it's not that he's one of the three worst players. He's he's actually he's still a pretty good prospect. Um, but, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, you know, I'm looking at his numbers. He, he obviously shot under 30% from three-point range his first two seasons, which is awful. <laughs> this season, he's actually shooting 39%. I didn't even know that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw. Um, I did look at that. I saw that. that on, was, a lower a volume, sample. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Low volume, like, very small sample. Yeah. And he's only so shot, shooting, shot 65% from the free throw line. <laughs> Here, but here's the thing, since I looked this up last yeah. night. Look at his rebounding numbers. He's rebounding like a demon. Yeah. He's a, his, his, he's his a per, strong, his, strong guy, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He's, his, his per 36 rebounding numbers are really good. <laughs> like, he would be, you know, in the top – 20, 25 rebounders in the league, and he's 6'6", six, six, um, which tells you he's active. And he's I'll give you a weird comparison hard. for Justice Winslow. I think, I, think his, I think he basically plays like a 34, 35-year-old Vince Carter. <laughs> you know, you, you see flashes of all that athleticism, but he's just not quite nimble enough to use it, not quite skilled enough with the ball. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons. It's one Sorry to interrupt you, but it's one of the reasons why I'm worried. I I, I feel bad even calling him a disappointment because it's just so early. Like, we could be sitting here in four or five years, given how much everybody talks about how hard Justice Winslow works, what a good guy he is, the fact that he's playing in Miami, which seems to turn guys like this into studs routinely. In three or four years, we could be saying, man, how did, how did we, why did we write off Justice Winslow so quickly? Um, but I don't know. I'm sort of at a loss for a better number two, and I'm, and I'm actually trying to think of who my number three would be, and I'm down to guys like Mason Plumley, I guess. I mean, I don't mm. know what I really expect. I mean, I think, I I think Mason I, is pretty serviceable. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, I actually like, think Mason's I mean, <laughs> a pretty good player. He even played on – Played on some international teams as an NBA player. He's done, yeah. He's, he's actually fit, done a good job fitting into some different situations. He started. He he, he passes really well. He, you know, he just never was. It turned out his destiny wasn't wasn't to be, you know, an absolute NBA All Star guy who scores twenty a game, but as sort of a, a low usage offensive player and who was a nice cog in an offense and. And a good team defensive player, I think Mason Mason's good. I think there's a huge, there's a world of difference between Mason Plumley and Miles Plumley, uh, you know, in terms of what they contribute to to an NBA team. Um, but if I was going, if you're, yeah, if you're struggling to come up with a third guy who's a disappointment, I'd, I'd be happy to give you one. Oh, go. Let's hear it. I would say if you peek in every now and then, I, I, I keep pulling for Tyus Jones to, like, break out in his backup point guard role, but he just quite, can't quite crack it. But did you Tyus, think he was going to? Did you think yeah, he was going to? I think 
I, the, the I had higher hopes. I mean, guarded hopes for him. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought his destiny was to be exactly what he is, which is a, you know, a rotation, a, 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 yeah, a rotation point guard. I mean, I guess, I guess my, you know, Mason in a weird way both had a much better NBA career than I kind of thought he would. And then maybe, maybe the reason why I thought of him is just because his, he, he has fallen off the NBA radar so quickly. He went from, I feel like two and a half years ago being, a surprisingly very good, you know, you'd laugh if you mentioned anyone mentioned him as an all-star, but someone might have, like Portland might have voted for him, you know, like, and now it's just like he's another one of those guys you look at and you're like, yeah, he just doesn't fit in this league anymore, you know? Well, I think he um, actually has a nice, he's a nice rotation player on, on a team that's going to be a playoff team. The Nuggets, he's even started some games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, his numbers are down. There's no question. His role yeah, has been yeah. Yeah, but. he's a rotation player. He's to me, he's a poor man's Blake Griffin in a league where you can't be a poor man's Blake Griffin. There's no jobs for <laughs> poor man's Blake Griffin anymore. You know what I mean? Like that's a, so the obvious disappointing player that, that you, you didn't mention is, is Kyle Singler. Kyle Singler, uh, you know, he's a top fifteen pick. He uh, you know led not us a, to a national championship. Not he, a top fifteen pick. No, what was he twenty? Yeah, I think second he was first round second pick? round pick. Second round pick. Come yeah, on, that's second, that, second round pick. Yeah, yeah, that's. I guess that's my thinking about him. Is like, is he? Was he? What did I expect from Kyle Singler? I think he exceeded our expectations for the first two or three years, and then yeah, he okay. sort of he, he went back to sort of like what we thought. But I mean, I when I tune in every now and then to an OKC game, and maybe it's just. Russell Westbrook's personality and style of play is so overwhelming that, you know, he's just totally different. You know, he's just totally different. He's gun-shy, his confidence is yeah. shot. He plays hop yeah. with the ball. Um, even, like, you know, he's bricking free throws, you know. He's tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, okay. Singler, I guess he was drafted lower than I, than I realized, but he did well enough on the Pistons where he got a decent contract from Oklahoma City. And I guess a lot of players that go to Oklahoma City just aren't as good <laughs> when they play on that team. They, you know, there isn't a lot of opportunity to, you know, to have a role on offense. And he's not, you know, he's obviously not become a really good defensive player in the NBA. But uh, he's 29 now. I don't think. I think you know. I think his career is already kind of sunsetted. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's just a shame. As a, you know, he's basically completely disappeared. Um, I've I've got one other disappointment. Um, is a guy who's drafted higher in that year as Nolan Smith was a first round draft pick for Portland. I know his injuries, uh, but yeah. I, I had I had relatively high expectations <laughs> for him. Um, I know he's a little bit undersized, but his last two years at Duke were fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, surprised really good. Didn't didn't just wind up as a sort of a rotation guard on the NBA. Team. Yeah, but it, it did have to do with injury directly, right? Right, Devin. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's also yeah. it's just like in some ways it's like hard to for a guy who is a very you know what was he low first round early second twenty um, first pick you know even his NBA he was a borderline NBA player to begin with and then it becomes so much about yeah. well, did you did you get the opportunity were you healthy you know Nolan Smith maybe if he lands in a different spot. Um, he gets a shot earlier, you know, it's kind of like, it's also, you know, 
you know, Seth Curry is on the, you know, is on that second tier of Duke in the NBA players who's there. Seth Curry's on the, on, the, on the pleasant surprise list. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's headlines he's, the, the most surprising good player. He's there. He's in the NBA. He's, he's, he's earned it. He's in the league. He got um, a big contract but, in the offseason, right? Like, yeah, but it, yeah, he did. Three he got, years, well, 30 million or something? Yeah, he got a nice deal. And, he, you know, that took what, but, but that took four years to materialize and a number of, you know, fortuitous situations that he had to land in. Um, and, you know, I think that that probably happened for Steph Curry or Seth Curry because of Seth. Seth. Um, you know, someone like Seth Curry is going to be able to both afford more chances and get more chances. Um, but it usually feels like it's some version of that. You know what I mean? Um, should we go to I, – I think that the surprise, the pleasant surprise players is, is kind of a fascinating – Yeah, there's a lot of good pleasant surprise players. Definitely headlined by, by Seth Curry, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, I mean, Seth Curry is probably the most high profile um, of – but, I, you know, I guess for me, he, you know, if, if I'm going to do my top three on the Seth Curry would actually be number two just because um, he – because his name is Curry, there's something not entirely shocking about a Curry becoming a good, good jump shooter in the NBA if he only sure. could get the chance. Um, and the league moves so, towards his skill set. Yeah, know, exactly. Shooting exactly. now super at a premium. I mean, and, and you know, if he was going to make it, he was always going to make it kind of like this, maybe a little bit sooner. The number one on my list is probably the guy that I guess wrong on in, 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 a, in a nice way, more than any other Duke player I can think of, I never saw Rodney Hood coming. I, I thought Rodney Hood was a borderline NBA player at best. Um, I thought that he was a very nice in, uh, college scorer who could not possibly be a plus scorer in the NBA. Um, one of those classic good college, no way in the pros kind of players. And he has become a terrific NBA scorer. I mean, he's a really good scorer. I think his destiny might be to be more like a kind of a Eric Gordon type volume scorer than a true, you know, starter, starter in the way that a lot of those guys have become six men to pour in points. But I didn't think he was going to make it in the NBA. You know what I mean? Well, he's about like, to get paid. He's going to get paid. He's at the end of his rookie deal. He was drafted 23rd. Uh, Again, helped him to be in a good situation with a a good coach, Quinn Snyder. But but that guy, he he came in shooting shooting well and, 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 you know, very – I'm I'm, I'm actually curious, like, why why were you so down on him? I was actually pretty hot. He's taller than – what's he, like 6'7"? I mean, he's pretty tall. He's pretty long. I just remember he only played at Duke one year, but his outside shot was beautiful. And and he, he, he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't quick or explosive, but I I thought he was. I thought he would be okay. Like I'm not surprised at all that that his career has trended this way. I like he, you know, look he he was only there for what a year, so I you know this is a very small volume of me watching him. Yeah, well, obviously you, it was also not a good Duke team, um, one of our weaker teams, um, but. He it was just two man so it was him and Jabari Parker. Then. Yeah, it was him and Jabari. It was it was 
he just seemed ordinary. He seemed like an ordinary six seven is is nice size, but it's not. You know, if you had told me if he was six nine six ten and a shooter like that, okay, now I see it. Um, okay, that guy's going to be a valuable asset in the NBA. But well, six seven. Six seven rail thin, <laughs> six seven rail thin, and a, and a very nice shooter. Just felt yeah. like something that that is like, well, okay, the NBA's got lots of those. Like it's he's, I just didn't see him becoming a gifted twenty points, and not just he's not like you know it's not like he's just bombing threes. He is a scorer, yeah. And I just I didn't I didn't I just didn't see that coming, and and it's really really nice. Um, yeah, I mean, he so, yeah, overperformed his, his draft slot by by large. If you were drafted that draft, he he might even go before Jabari Parker. I mean, he would no. certainly go in the top. 10. Absolutely not. I mean, Absolutely. Not. What are you talking about? This, this Rodney Hood is what the NBA is about today. It's about efficient scoring and shooting. Jabari Parker's upside is so high, even now after his second ACL. Yeah, I think Jabari you know, I mean, would, Jabari would still get drafted first, but. I think there's a very good chance Rodney Hood's going to be the one who has a much better NBA career. I mean, we have no idea John Jabari Parker's ever going to play a full season in the NBA. You know, he's well, he might be headed. drafted. Oh, first before him, you mean? <laughs> Not first in the draft. There's a couple. There's a there's a big guy on the 76ers that would, would definitely go number one in that draft if you redrafted. I mean, Jabari Parker's defense. Is, Jabari Parker's defense is so bad that in the modern NBA there is reason to question whether he could be on the floor in the last five minutes of a playoff game. I mean, that's a legit concern. Not that Rodney Hood is a lockdown defender himself, but like, you know, Rodney Hood has obviously had the much better pro career so far. Um, and that's, who would have seen that coming? I, I, I well, just never would have seen that coming. In totality, I agree with you, but in terms of ceiling, Jabari's season last year should be, it should indicate that his, his, Peak game is is going to be better. Yeah, yeah. no, I think Jabari, Jabari actually can... scored twenty a game last year. I mean, Rodney Hood never hasn't hasn't quite done that yet. But uh, I mean, I'm just pointing out that for a guy drafted twenty third, Jabari was like a lock for the top three that year. Uh, it's not absurd to have the conversation, but which guy's going to going to get signed to a bigger deal next year? Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know the answer. Yeah, like I'm not 100 percent sure. Right, I, I'm not sure if Milwaukee's gonna gonna resign him. They may decide not to because I think there's a good chance that someone's gonna um, match. You know, take a chance. Someone's gonna match, um, but you know, Eric Bledsoe makes a lot of money. Obviously, Giannis, they're gonna have to pay a huge amount of money to. They, you know, at some point they may they may want to. Chris Middleton is not cheap and is a very good player. Um, well, the skill set overlaps. Be honest a little bit. I mean, he, he does. Yeah, it definitely may be to be a number one scorer on a, on a weaker team, uh, and you know, build around him. But uh, it seems a little superfluous on that team potentially, especially if he's yeah. not not a real good defender. And but okay, I need Hood. a lot more time. To yeah, Jordan's still out. Actually, Rodney Hood's been injury prone as well. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of Duke players have been injury prone in the NBA. It's, who else, Devin, who else besides, besides Rodney have been pleasant surprised? Because Rodney wasn't even on. He didn't even sniff my list. Cause, oh, wow. You know, okay. I, I, I expected that. You always liked him. Okay. 
Um, well, I mean, I've got two more, um, yeah. if I can. I can um, the first one may seem like a cop out, but you know, JJ Reddick is. I mean, I, I, okay. I thought I thought there was a very good chance that JJ Reddick could was simply not fast enough and not versatile enough to be to make it more than a couple years in the NBA. And I think that there was definitely a moment when he could have washed out. And he has become a very, very, very good. NBA scorer and obviously a dead-eye shooter, but he has also made himself into a guy who couldn't guard anyone into a very good NBA defender. And it's just, he has, I don't think there's been a Duke player who has gotten more out of what he has than J.J. Redick, right? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but he has wrung every drop of talent that he had. Um, and he's also gone from probably being the most hated Duke guy ever to one of the most well-liked and likable players in the NBA, which is amazing. Yeah, that, yeah I can't, can't argue with that last statement. Um, and then my last one – sorry, you, you go ahead, Mike. Talk about J.J. because no, no. it's fun to talk about. We'll come back to J.J. Uh, at the end of this because I think he, okay. he goes towards sort of that street cred, uh, what they've done for the program's reputation kind of – Kind of, kind of thing. Like, at least every every player, every Alex O'Connell or Luke Kennard, they can they can point towards a successful white player in the NBA from Duke. Uh, yes. a white card, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a great finale and gets a. It doesn't end here. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Oh man! But also oh his, his his turn from heel, from like kind of hate that one of those hated guys to one of those best liked guys, um, I think is also you know a bit of solace for like the same type of players uh, that come into the NBA and ultimately he may do the most, like he's going to be, you know, he's podcasting. He's clearly yeah. in the bad of his media presence. And like, yep. As like an ambassador. And he's good. He's good. Duke, he's good at it, yeah. Yeah. Pure cool, cool lady Duke guy. He, he, he kind of gets us into some, some cooler circles. Um, not that we have a, a shortage of like media presence of Duke alums, but, there's something a little different about JJ, and I don't really know. I think his his post NBA career has like a weirdly high ceiling, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, do, do, uh, this is real real quick. Do you have any insight on like is he just he can't make up his mind who to do his podcast through? Because it seems like he's changed like on two or three occasions after. Well, I thought it was I thought it was Yahoo at first, and now he's with the Ringer, right? Right. Yahoo. Um, and and then wasn't he trying to work with no, like he, a LeBron's he uh, team for like one or two podcasts and then they they quit oh. that? Oh, like that it's been I like a multiple, multiple like stop and goes. I didn't know about the in, I didn't know about the in between one, but the but that's interesting. I didn't know. Um, yeah. I assumed that the Yahoo thing sort of unraveled when Woj left. left. Yeah. And right. that, and but I, and maybe the intermediary thing was just an intermediary thing until you know Bill gave him a ringer podcast. He basically um, did one episode with with Matt Carter. With, yeah, yeah, with Matt. Matt. Okay, it sort of correlated with him doing uh, the documentary on on him his free agency. Uh, uh, right. We, we talked about the summer, and then he's never, never got back to it. We don't really know why. It's behind the scenes reasons, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, yeah. You know, somehow the ringer got involved. 
And, you know, to be honest, he's only done two episodes of that. And it could be that, you know, these things are hard to, to continue to do, especially when you're playing. And it could be another stop and go. We don't know. I mean, we're just assuming that, you know, he's going to be a prolific media presence when, you know, the evidence might, might not suggest that's the case. But he's at least got the... The two he's done he with Embiid and, and Carl Anthony Towns are both really good. Yeah. Worth checking good. out. He's good. All right, back Brooklyn, to the lives in, lives in Brooklyn. Um, yeah. Um, the last guy is a little controversial. Pleasant surprise. Austin Rivers. Pleasant surprise. Ah, Austin Rivers. I, I would have put him on my most disappointing list. I was going to suggest. No, uh, I mean, <laughs> look, I, Austin Rivers was one of the Duke players, as you know, the even Duke people did not like. Um, he was one of the most disappointing players to suit up at Duke based on his rep. Uh, and it turned out he was sort of just, he was just such a gunner at Duke, even though he, he won a North Carolina game for us uh, single-handedly. Uh, that team was atrocious. And, and It was atrocious, and he nobody <laughs> liked him, and he just had this aloof, dickishness thing about him. When he got to the NBA, he was the coach's kid, Blake was making fun of him. He was he was the he was the, the grade A example of NBA nepotism who did not belong there. Um, here's the thing: he's pretty good, and um, you know people are he's you know it's now four years into his career, and people are forgetting. Um, you know, one of the moments his real coming out moment when he was not just. When, when a lot of people started to say, oh, wait a minute, this guy might be good, and not just that, but this guy might be kind of tough and might be kind of a real warrior. Do you guys remember the game against Houston when Chris Paul broke his hand in a playoff game, and he had to leave the game? And this was the game, you know, the, 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 the Clippers got eliminated one of, one of the many years when they were supposed to be in this game. They got eliminated in one of the many years that they were supposed to be a title contender. But Austin Powers, Austin Powers, <laughs> Austin <laughs> Rivers came in and got like popped in the eye and had a black eye and played like the entire second half of the black eye and scored like twenty points and was nearly won. I think it was. Or what, what, was it Portland? I think it was Portland. It might have been no. It's Portland. You're right. It was Portland. Yeah, I mean he had one weird. phenomenal playoff game, but is he good? No, he's he's playing. I mean, he plays a lot this year because all their other point guards. Again, he's like he's a good point guard. He's he's like an NBA player. And he's actually still pretty young. He's only twenty five. He's only twenty five. He's been in the league I mean, six years or maybe seven, and he's uh his shooting percentages are just still pretty pretty low. Like his field goal percentage is low. His three point shooting has, has come up good. Yeah, yeah. He's and, good. Uh, he's a good shooter, and he's a good defensive player. Yeah, he's a he's good defender. He plays a lot and of energy. Like, he's clearly got a lot know, of talent. So, so I think, I think he's a I think he's a good shooter with poor shot selection. That's probably true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but like, put it this way: if 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 he's 25 now and doing this, and in four years you took those package of skills and they improved and said, okay, now he's Pat Beverly. That's not crazy. Can he be Pat Beverly in Fort? Pat Beverly wasn't Pat Beverly until he was like 27. Like yeah, Pat it, Beverly's pretty special. Is he, he that is, good defensively? But, like, but yeah, he's, he gets, he's getting no, to know Pat Beverly, not, so maybe it'll, it'll he, rub he, off. He, 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 he's not that good, but you know, he also is the son of a professional basketball player who's pretty good himself. Like he's, it's, he was buried and hated 
And now I think he's going to have a very solid NBA career and probably going to be a starter somewhere at some point. And I, that's I well, he's starting now. That he's starting for the Clippers. He's starting for Clippers. Well, I mean, but you you know and what I mean. When like everybody the leaves the Clippers this offseason, he will be there. He's going to be the number one option next year or year after, yeah. and maybe he'll stay there. And you know, I think he's going to wind up with a, a pretty empty looking NBA career where, where he's scored a decent number of points, shot an okay percentage, and and you know, I don't know. He, He's not set up to. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, but he certainly has. He certainly is yeah, still a great prospect, and he's still young, and you know he's doing some things. He's in spurts. He has, he has big games, and he has games that look pretty awful. Um, still, but but yeah, I, I guess you're right. Where, where was he I mean, drafted? He, he was uh, he was uh, right at the end of the lottery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to uh, New Orleans, where he <laughs> shot like 38 percent his first year. He also strikes me as just someone who, in a lot of ways, his the actual truth of him does not match the narrative. The narrative, you know, I just I think, among other things, I gather that he kind of doesn't like his dad. <laughs> Never has. Um, and but why, why do you, you say know, that? I, what a what a messed up. What a messed up situation it is if that's the case. But, but yeah, why do you say that? Why would he go there if if he didn't? I have because they're you know they're still father and son, but you know fathers and sons have weird dynamics, right? Yeah, um, I mean, but I know. <laughs> but it's not like I gather there's not. I'm trying to think of what the assumption is of a father-son relationship in the pros. You know who's a who's a good example of where the the, the affection and adoration is, you know, clear. Um, Dell and his kids, Dell Curry and his kids, right? Yeah. This I, I, this ain't uh, that. Michael Jordan, but this ain't that. And and I just think that that's you know when it's for some reason knowing some of that stuff changes what I think of who he is maybe, um, and. And then just as a player, I just think that he was seen as a, you know, incompetent hot dog. And here we are talking about how even if it's, you know, a Sharif Abdur-Rahim type situation where he's, you know, one of those high-volume scorers on a bad team, well, still, I mean, it, I wouldn't have thought that he was going to be the, you know, have a chance to be even that guy um, coming out of college. I mean, he's scoring 14 points a game and shooting 40% from three so far this season in a, in a small good. sample size. Career thirty five percent three point shooter and he's averaging one and a half steals a game. Uh but he's he's also shooting forty percent from the field. Yeah. He's never which been a is, good which is not two good. point field goal uh percentage guy. Like, yeah. Although you know, these days when you when you shoot so many threes your 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 field goal percentage it, it is weird to see a higher three point percentage than a the two point field goal percentage. But uh you know, I'd love to sit in on his therapy sessions. You know, I mean, I'm sure they're fascinating. <laughs> you know, in terms of like dealing with that being the hated guy at Duke, being the NBA, you know, having a, a father in the NBA who probably he, he didn't see uh, as often as he would have liked. You know, on an everyday basis. Uh, you know, it must be must be difficult growing up with your dad as a professional athlete. It presents its own unique set of challenges. Also, opens its own unique set of doors. And then yeah. to have this national reputation as the, the, the biggest beneficiary of nepotism ever 
uh, with you know that forty fifty million dollar contract he got, uh, and then having to back that up. I mean, there's just so many different chips on his shoulder. I hope I hope the story turns out, you know, keeps continuing to turn out well for him. I don't I don't think it's a bad contract. Yeah, well, I, it turned, I really it well turned out that way, but at the uh, time, yeah, I don't, he was a low percentage and, and, shooter in a limited role, you know, but he was young, so he had potential. So, hey, De- hey, Devin, uh, yeah. the guy who's on the top of my list is in your backyard, not in Brooklyn, but in Madison Square. How did this guy not make the top of your list? Yeah, how is Lance Thomas not number one on your most surprising list? Um, He's starting you know, games for the Knicks. He's playing playing 20 minutes a game. game for Duke. So let me me frame it this way, uh, Devin. Mike and I have have sat down like maybe five five years ago. We're sitting down, and I was defending Lance Thomas as a great glue guy, a key critical guy. And Mike is like, this guy averages four points a game, three rebounds a game, and has maybe one career assist in his entire Duke career. This guy is terrible. And I'm like, no, you need guys like this on the team. And he's getting 20 minutes a game, and he his his stats, Knicks are identical to his Duke stats. It's like four points and four rebounds a game. So how does this guy find the court? Um, by punching guys in the nuts. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's I mean, Lance Thomas. It, you know, it, it he's probably the most disliked player in the NBA. Um, is that true? He's one of them, yeah. I mean, he's he has humiliated himself during NBA Finals broadcasts because he's on the Cavs and just getting technicals without even being in the game. And, like, he was, like... No, that's Dante it's, Jones. Yeah, you're thinking of Dante oh, Jones. Oh, you're right. Uh, I'm thinking of Dante <laughs> Jones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, uh, sorry. Him, I can reason, understand I, being the most, the most hated player in the NBA that I could I could see because he always yeah. was very chippy for some reason I, for some reason I always confuse those two maybe yeah, it's because maybe it's because um, I, I but I, you know your 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 broader point is right I don't think Mike Thomas is no you're right you're right I just don't think of him as but he's not even like a three and D guy he's like he's a D guy who shoots like 32 percent from three I guess he's, that's why he's not the most pleasant surprise to me it's because it's a weird thing it's like okay lance john Thomas is exactly what i thought he was i thought he was dante jones in fact um yeah. and but i thought he would be like selling insurance by now you know i didn't think he'd be in no the that's NBA. true that's that's true i it, yeah, it, no, i never would have imagined that he's in the a i guess it speaks more to the fact that his role in at duke in much the same way as i kind of think in five years a neil jefferson is going to be on an nba team um is useful at almost any level. And sometimes it's a, a star player who has to learn to play that role. And sometimes it's a guy who in college was always playing that role and knew exactly how to do it. Um, and you're right. It's the, the simple fact that he's got an NBA career is amazing. I definitely thought that he was going to be best known for being the guy who, what, like, accepted the $90,000 necklace or watch or whatever it was. <laughs> right. I mean, he's starting right. games. He's an occasional. He's a spot starter. He's started Let's games look. four straight seasons in the NBA on – I mean, it's unbelievable that he's he's, he's, he's being paid to play basketball. I mean, not, not well, I guess I, I expected him to have a European career. The the level of his like, – like, I didn't hate him in, in college, as Pete just said I did. 
No, I you hated think him. he was a historically bad performer statistically. Of course he was a good defender and a good team player, and you can't have everyone sort of, you know, he's great. He's like the, the ultimate fifth guy, the Casey Sanders, the Lance Thomas, the, the you know, the guy who doesn't actually take up any any room on the court or like crowd out other people's shots. He just was a contributor, but his numbers were so low. Like his yeah. per forty minutes numbers, like even if you get you know, he played so many minutes. I just always had an argument with him playing so much. Like I just thought they could have played him a little less. They could have brought in Marty Postius off the bench a few times, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and, you know, he just he, – it's true. He, his assist numbers were historically low for a guy who played so much. It was probably because he just didn't touch the ball very often. But he didn't appear to be talented on offense in any particular way. And what's interesting is that he's a proficient three-point shooter in the NBA, and, like, he never took an outside shot at Duke. You know, he never took a yeah. shot past 16 feet. And, like, well, why not? He was there for years. I mean, why wasn't he given the opportunity to sort of showcase some of these skills? Or did it just take him 10 years to learn how to shoot from long distance? Uh, you know, he shot 44% from three-point range last year in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, it's a number know, of I, attempts. I mean, it's pretty I, incredible. Yeah, wow. my guess is that my guess is that no, he could not shoot that shot in college <laughs> that he has spent yeah, the yeah, last yeah. several years perfecting the wide open corner three, which if I had to guess is probably what most of those shots are not, yeah. not to take anything away. I mean, but, but, but the, the reality is if you can, if you can work hard enough to, to perfect that skill and you're a good defender, you're going to have an NBA career. It's, it's, you know, in this era that's, and he figured it out, you know, I mean, he is, he is the poor, poor, poor man's version of, what Shane Battier kind of ingeniously used to become a, almost a star in the NBA. I mean, it's that formula, you know. Um, Nick Collison had has made over a hundred million dollars. Now he had to. Well, he had to. Someone was taking him a huge deal. Nick Collison was a was a huge offensive stud at Kansas. Lance yeah, Thomas no, was, I, I, was a nobody. No, I'm just. And I'm not trying to compare the two as college players. I'm just saying. Well, Thomas is they, not. They. He he learned he learned the. Not even. Oh God, Matt Jones. If, if only Matt Jones didn't shoot as much in college. Um, oh man. Um, Back in a podcast, you come on a podcast, and Matt, trash him. Devin, Matt, Matt Jones, no. like like <laughs> you, is a friend of the podcast. <laughs> All well, right, Matt I Jones take it back now. I love you. Way, along with some others, but I. Uh, to get to get back to sort of the main the main point, I guess. Unless do we have another? Did you have another surprise, Peter? Surprising player? No, that's or, it. Or just one. Play. So to get back to the, what we really, you know, Duke's reputation in the NBA, our street cred is like seems like it's changed a lot recently. We're getting every one and done stud that we want, <laughs> and uh, we're about to see a bunch more guys come into the league. I mean. Obviously, uh, Bagley and you know some of the current guys are going to be top draft yeah. picks next year. We got Cam Reddish and and uh, RJ Barrett. They're they're already one two in projections. So, like our roster is going. Our NBA alumnus association is going to be headlined with a lot of a lot of stars. And they, uh, we talked about sort of gaining the street cred. Uh, you know, who are the guys? You know, when, when we lay them down on paper. Uh, Rodney Hood, who we talked about, certainly one of them. J.J. Redick, I think, is, is another. Um, 
you know, who are the guys that really are staking, you know, making our reputation these days? And like the guys that make you feel like this is way different than it used to be. Um, well, 90% of our NBA, rep, NBA reputation right now, to the extent that it's huge, and it obviously is, is because of Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie is the best NBA player we've ever produced. Um, that, I, that's not a debate. That's, that's, you know, and, and this is someone who basically went to Duke because of Grant Hill. This is not a debate. No other Duke player has, has just on pure accomplishments, been one of the defining players on an NBA title-winning team and hit the game-winning shot. Like, that, there is no due precedent for that. It's all Kyrie. But also the way that Kyrie plays this virtuosic sort of, but very authentically, street is such a terrible word, but it's sort of schoolyard a little bit. I mean, the, I've never seen a guy um, penetrate and score like him. His drives to the hoop are Iverson-esque and maybe better. I mean, it's just I, – I, I think he's the most gifted offensive player in the NBA who's not on the Golden State Warriors and maybe the most gifted offensive player, including Steph. I don't know. It's – so did you feel that way before this year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt that way, you know. Uh, I mean, as, as as soon as they won that title, he, he, took the, he took the championship belt as far as two players are concerned. But there's another factor, which is that Kyrie is insanely popular among sort of younger NBA fans. He is just in, in a way that I think that people in the outside world maybe don't appreciate. He's one of the most popular and recognizable players in the league. And he's just beloved. And going to Boston is only going to make that bigger. Um, it's funny. I actually thought his I, reputation was sort of a mixed bag. Uh, you know, before, going into this season, you know, we, you know, I, I don't, we kind of thought demanding the trade out of Cleveland made him look kind of bad. Uh, you know, playing with LeBron sort of gave gave people who were Kyrie haters cover to say, well, he's not really that. If he wasn't on the team with LeBron, they wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't actually be as good. Uh, and this is, you know, people pointed to his defensive play as a, as, yeah, but, a as a downside. But, and then this year on the Celtics, he's the guy, you know, he's crushing it on both ends of the court. And I feel like the narrative has, has improved a lot for him, even though he, he had the championship with LeBron. He really played well in the playoff. He had some playoff games that were absolutely sick, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it's fair to say there's not an argument to be had between Grant Hill and Kyrie. I mean, he's only played in the league for six years and Grant Hill, you know, Grant Hill one had, has like the, uh, the asterisk about the injury. But but also, you know, Grant Hill at his top game, a lot of people thought he was the, the second best player in the league, Michael Jordan. Um, and you know, I think I think what differentiates him more, and it could be in five or ten years, it'll be in, in three years, it could be that we'll be saying, yeah, of course, Kyrie is the best player ever. He's he's proven it. He's done it. All he needs to do is on that respect. But the differentiator is is the street cred. I think Grant yeah. Hill had a very like milk toast white bread. 
uh, <laughs> you know, sort of almost like a snobby image. Um, you know, you know, his parents were, you know, his dad's a, like an all-pro athlete and that kind of stuff. And, uh, they were very, very family-oriented. Played, yeah. played the piano on Leno or something like that, Letterman. So I think the big differentiator really is, is, is less about play and it's more about reputation and image. Like Kyrie is Uncle True and just like incredible highlight reel uh, in, a, in like a the ultimate ball handler. And, you know, uh, I think actually it's, it's a bit of a, more of a differentiator than, than play on the court. Um, you know, that's generally my thinking uh, in terms of what he's done for Duke's rep and uh, our, our street cred. The other thing is he only, you know, Duke, Grant Hill played for four years and, and Kyrie played for 10 minutes uh, at Duke. Doesn't that matter? You know, does that no longer matter? Is Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving more important to Duke's reputation than John Shire and Grant Hill? Well, yeah, because because the word you're using is reputation and not legacy. You know what I mean? Like if we're, it depends upon what metric we're using, right? In terms of Duke's reputation and ability to be a top tier program and and produce NBA talent, absolutely, Kyrie is is more valuable. Um, or of the most more valuable to our credibility in that regard. It's um, look, I think one of the things that's happened and come along with the NBA's evolution um, into a more popular sport is this flip in our mentality about whether, you know, the coaches should be predominant in the NBA in the, in college basketball or whether the players are getting a raw end of the stick. And I think, we're all more player-centric and player-favorable and player-sensitive about their rights and their lives and their self-destiny than we certainly were when we, in, we were in college. And so I think we're a little bit less naive about the idea that the goal of college basketball for these guys, let's face it, is to get to the NBA. And your reputation as a college program is going to be determined in large part by your ability to successfully do that. It's one reason why Kentucky – is the only program that is probably bigger and more consistently successful than ours now. That's interesting because there was always like a judgment about college just being a turnstile for the NBA when it came to other programs. Now that it's us, we feel okay with it. <laughs> but also, well, it's interesting. It's interesting because to see. Our, our, our whole view on sports and athletes has changed a little bit, and the, the rights of an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, like to capitalize and monetize their their image. You know, it feels it feels grosser now, and we're more sympathetic to kids viewing college basketball in a way that we used to disdain. We we understand better that they are being exploited and that they should have the rights to control their own destiny a little bit more. And that, you know, that is, that was the thing that made John Calipari a villain for many years. And, you know, uh, um, and with coach K, by the way, being cast as the white knight of college basketball and our views started to sort of flip a little bit when coach K and Duke decided they were okay with it too. And, um, but, you know, from an NBA perspective, it's funny because, you know, here we are talking about Duke and the NBA and how much more success we've had. No one is holding a candle to Calipari. You know how many of his Kentucky um, NBA lottery picks, first-round picks, have, have flopped? 
Zero. Hmm. None, of, none of them. That's amazing. Well, hmm. I don't know. Scal was supposed to be a top five pick. I ended up getting picked late, but yeah, but Scal's a good NBA player. He's, he's a rotation player. NBA player. Really know. I mean, yeah, he's you know he's he's not yeah, he has so not much flopped through Kentucky. He, he has not flopped. Let's put it that way. He's and his career is trending upward. And but Trey, Trey Lyles, Lyles Michael, Michael Kidd, Jokers. Yeah, but those guys aren't those guys aren't washouts. You know what I mean? They haven't flopped. They're you yeah. know. I mean, it's it's. Trey Lyles is, you know, two years into his career, and some people still think he might be turn out to be really good. Yeah, there there is not a there's no Jaleel Okafor in there. There's no Kyle Singler in there. It's 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 all hits basically, and that's incredible. <laughs> mm. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> it's uh it's it's quite a time, quite a time for Duke Duke reputation to get it. I understand your point. It's, it's it's totally a different conversation to be had about the reputation amongst the basketball intelligentsia, amongst recruits, versus amongst sort of Duke alone, Duke fans, like the people sitting in the actual stadium, right? When Kyrie Irving comes back, I'm, no doubt he gets a huge round of applause, right? But But I still don't feel like I identify with him as a Duke the way I do yeah. other guys. And it's partly because we can't take any credit. <laughs> like uh, the Duke, the Duke uh, men's basketball Twitter feeds uh, after, you know, at the NBA draft last year put out these Duke made hashtags on like <laughs> yeah. Giles and Jason Tatum. And I'm like, these guys aren't Duke made, you know, yeah. they played, they played for four months in a Duke uniform. They're not Duke made. I mean, I have no doubt Jason Tatum learned some things at Duke and Harry Giles too, probably. But but they're not Duke made, right? They could have not gone to Duke at all and been drafted in the same spot. So yeah, yeah, we, we have um, to take sort of less ownership over their success than we do over over a Grand Hill. Um, it's yeah, yeah. I think I think I think Jason Tatum would have been fine without us. Um, you know, and that obviously, and, you know, the fact that he, you know, we had such a, he had such a, a an unsuccessful team, uh, relatively speaking at, at Duke, you know, it's probably going to make him feel less connected to, you know, us and our history. But if we're asking, you know, who played a bigger role in Marvin Bagley coming to Duke? You know, you know what I mean? Like it's, and by the way, here's, here's, here's my last question. And I know we have to wrap up. Would Marvin Bagley, if he was in the NBA right now, be the second best Duke NBA player? Uh, yeah, good question. I mean, I, yeah, I, th- I think, think that means you're who I'm trying to think about who that means we're putting him above, just above. Well, probably Rodney Hood, Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. JJ yeah, Redick, I, I guess. I, I don't think JJ's as good as those guys anymore. Uh, maybe two years ago. Marvin Bagley's incredible. <laughs> I mean, he is incredible. Holy he is. cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Did either of you guys read the uh, the piece that was up on the Ringer regarding Bagley and his potentially not being able to fit into the NBA? I did. Basically portraying him as a guy who who wouldn't, you know, like an Okafor type whose skill set isn't isn't necessarily correct for the league. I think Bagley can do everything. He can do everything. He can do everything. He can play defense. He's a really good rebounder, and Okafor is not. Um, um, I think that I think Bagley's going to shoot three pointers at a thirty to thirty five percent rate, which is going to be just fine. Um, um, yeah, I think he, he's I know you'll be a transcendent player. Like like you look at limitations on draft prospects. But sometimes strengths are so big, and mm-hmm. skill sets are diverse enough that. Of course, you can come up with a, like a weakness or an argument against somebody. Like, yeah, everybody you know, has flaws. Everybody has something, but yeah. Bagley's strengths are so strong, and there's a lot of them. God, he's just so explosive, and he jumps so quickly. It's <laughs> and, and and by the way, you know the last game we the last game. I mean, he can jump four times like before most guys can get off the ground twice, and like and he's, and he's a gamer. So he's a gamer. There was which was the game? Um, was it uh, one of the one of the bigger games that we had um, right around the uh, right right in early December? But like he he got the ball he got the ball on the elbow. There was a double team that snapped on him pretty instantly, and a half second before the double team, like as soon as the double team started to come, he whipped the ball over his over his shoulder over his left shoulder into the corner, found an open three. If you're a 17-year-old who can recognize a double team and pass out of it perfectly like that, you're going to be an all-star in the NBA if you've got his skills. Like, it's just, like, I just don't see, I don't see any myths in him. I guess I'm going to have to go read this, this Ringer thing because that sounds crazy well, the, to me. The Ringer thing basically says he might not be able to be a four in the NBA because he might not be able to, to guard on the perimeter well enough. Uh, and he, he might not be able to be a good five because he doesn't actually protect the rim. If you look at his stats at Duke, they're they're like historically low or like comparatively very very low stats for for you know low block block rate like, essentially. He's um, seventeen. Yeah. He's well, seventeen. Yeah, he actually he came 17? here early to Duke. No, he's eighteen. He's eighteen now. Okay. He's actually older than 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 like Trey Duvall. <laughs> You know, he's, he's older than some okay. of the other freshmen. Okay, okay, he's, 18. he's yeah. 18. He's yeah. 18. I, I mean, come on. That's, he scored that's... 35 and had 16 rebounds in a game, and, like, it was you know, it's not like his numbers Look, are, are BS. They're, they're, they're legit. Like, everything I, I'm in the media. I pretty special. I, I understand. <laughs> we, we thrive on hot takes. That's some bullshit right there. That is just <laughs> that is just some wow. No way. That guy, he's he's got Hall of Fame potential. I think. I mean, he's just he's you know he's 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 if he's if he's a good defender, he's he could be Kevin Garnett. You know what I mean? It's like it's. I just love him. I love him. I'm a huge Bagley fan. He's definitely the T-Rex of the uh, of the program. Uh, I don't think I don't think we've ever had a guy as talented. I don't think Kyrie Irving is necessarily as talented. He's a guy who's maximizing his talent. But he I, he's the I think he's the best player to ever come to Duke. You know. Yeah, I think there's what a good he brings chance. to the table as a freshman. Yeah, I think that's right. I think he has. You know, you can't say it as a freshman, but I do think for sure 
he has the potential to be the best player we've ever produced. And I realize that that's still not necessarily the highest bar, but we've got a Hall of Famer in the NBA right now. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's pretty impressive. At least that he has a chance to get, get you know, to get on top of. So, so as it is, Grant Hill's our only Hall of Famer to come out of Duke, correct? Is he in the is, Hall? Is, is he in the no. Hall? I don't know that he is. Well, if he isn't, he's about to be. If he isn't, he's about to be. Uh, yes. The NBA Hall of Fame is actually not – it's not the hardest Hall of Fame to make. You know, right, right, but, right, yeah. Uh, Grant Hill's a lock for the Hall of Fame. But yeah. Uh, last question: Which of the current guys do you think are going to make the Hall of Fame? Like we got to predict. You know, we we'll all predict. Who, any of the current guys in the NBA going to make the Hall of Fame? Obviously, Kyrie, uh, you know, is a favorite at this point. But you know, go ahead and predict, Devin. Who's especially amongst the young guys? Which guys make the NBA Hall of Fame? We'll hold you to this. We'll look back in 20 years. Um. I don't know if any sure. of them. I, I I don't know if any sure, of them do. I, I I think the two who I think the only two who have a real chance, and I and I would say that that's an outside chance for both of them is Tatum, and I still think Brandon Ingram has a really high ceiling, but I'm not sure he's a Hall of Famer ever. Under I, I don't know if his ceiling is that high. I think he's an All Star potentially. I think oh, we forgot to ceiling. talk about Brandon Ingram. <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I just, I, I think the, I think the hall of fame potential, if it was ever there, is closing. I think it's possible with Tatum. I, I, I think it's possible. Um, I think it's possible. They're both the right kind of players for this NBA, for the modern NBA. They are. They yeah, are. Kyrie they are. is a lock, right? Kyrie's a lock, I think. I think the only Peter? way that Kyrie doesn't make it is if he gets hurt and then it's over. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's only Kyrie and Tatum with an outside shot. Um, nobody else. I think Jabari has an outside shot. He's still young. He's that. He still has massive. No, it's it's going to take him at least. It's going to take him at least another year. That means he's lost like two and a half years of of prime. Like yeah, he'd have to score like he'd have to score like Dirk volumes. He'd have to have like Dirk volume scoring to make the to make the to make the Hall of Fame. And I disagree with you, Mike, that it's easy to make the NBA Hall of Fame. Like the guys like, we're getting in are, are like are like are like, you know, the best. It's not like, easy, but it's, I, I I can't remember anyone making the Hall in the last ten years who I thought was undeserving. Oh, I'd, I'd love to know. I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to know who did. Like, I'd be curious to know who didn't make it last year. You know what I mean? Like, who are the guys who didn't make it? Because um, I think that you know that'll sort of tell you, you know, what the line is. Well, yeah, I mean the, guy, I, the guys getting I mean, Robert like, Paris. Robert Paris is a Hall of Famer. It gives you an idea. Yeah, but that's a different era. It's a different era. I mean, the guys getting in right now, like Allen yeah, Iverson, Bobby Jones is a Hall of Famer, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, if you're a Robert Paris is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think if you're a multi-time All Star, there's a good chance you're going to make the Hall of Fame in the NBA. I mean, Christian Leighton is a multi-time All Star. Yeah, it depends on who you made the All-Star team for. I mean, Robert Parrish is, an, is a Hall of Famer as much because he has, what, four rings, and he was double zero in the Chief and everything. He's, you know, he's, yeah, yeah, uh, no, he's a great he, NBA player, of course. But, uh, you know, there's a but you know what I mean? I, but, uh, it's just off the top of my head. Well, I guess we'll do the Hall of Fame debate another day, like in, in 10 years when our guys actually are in a position to make it. But I think Jabari still has an outside shot. Uh, I think... 
Uh, Peter, I'm surprised you didn't say Frank Jackson, the next Russell Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Harry Giles, Harry Giles has an outside shot to make the Hall of Fame. He's only 19 or 20, and his, you know, he could be Sean Kemp still. There's a chance, yeah. right? There's a chance he comes back. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out for a lot of these guys. We, like, like Harry Giles is like a sleeper agent in the NBA for us right now. And we just, in three years, <laughs> maybe he's dunking on everybody, right? Um, and uh, I think Tatum has a has a has a real viable chance, uh, given what he's shown so far. I'd actually, I, I'll go ahead and call it. I, I think I think he's going to be an NBA Hall of Famer. Um, I think he's just so well positioned on that yeah. team with his skill set. We're just seeing the beginning. Um, and no, you know, if you took away just, if you took away Kyrie and gave me the field, uh, you know, to pick from, I'd take Tatum easily. He's easily the the, the, the more yeah. likely there. I think Rodney Hood is not good enough, um, and I, I'd be surprised if he has, you know, too big of a shot at it. Um, and on, I, you know, I think Bagley is a rugged chance. I think R.J. Barrett and Cam Rennes and maybe even uh, – I, I don't think anyone on the current team uh, – should we give Grayson a look at the NBA Hall of Fame? Is there any chance? <laughs> it's a silly exercise because it's only Kyrie. Yeah. It's only Kyrie? Yeah. Yeah, it's only Kyrie. And, I think it's and, only Kyrie. And Devin, before we end, let me let me ask you: um, Did you think less of Kyrie when he sort of made his move and wanted to divorce LeBron? And and he never really had to answer the question. I mean, he was asked the question countless times. He never answered. Does that make you I was, less of him? No, I was a thousand percent team Kyrie. Yeah, a thousand percent team because, Kyrie. Because tell us why. Um. Um. Well, first of all, I think the thing that got lost was that the mission was accomplished, right? It's not like he walked out, you know, it was very, not that I agree with Durant and what he did, but what he did with Russell was, was to me, if you want to put on the scale of egregiousness, if you believe in that, that was not mission accomplished. That was mission surrender. Kyrie won the ring. They've got the ring. He hit the last shot. He's, he's proven it in the finals. He is like a lot of top 10 NBA players, he genuinely, firmly, unequivocally believes that he is the best player in the NBA. And he believes that he can do this on his own and he wants to see what he can do. And he spent and would have continued to spend multiple years in the biggest shadow on earth. And um, he, he gets to do whatever the hell he wants is the other thing. Do what you want. Do whatever you want. And I also think that the, the, the last thing is it was a defensive gesture. He knew, that Kyrie, he knew that LeBron was leaving. So what's he supposed to do? Wait around for LeBron to leave him stuck on the, the deadbeat Cavaliers again? <laughs> Remember? He did that once already. Um, is he supposed to wait for that to happen again? I just I was a thousand percent team Kyrie for that. I just I, I very much believe in self destiny. Um and I don't I don't think he's supposed to have to deign to wish to play with the great LeBron James. He should do what the fuck he wants. And I think he made the right decision, right? Would anybody disagree? Right now? Certainly looks good right now. <laughs> looks exactly uh exactly like the right decision. And yeah, I mean it it, it looks he wants, it, so I can't it looks free. good because he went to Boston. But like let's say he went to like Miami. 
be a totally different story. He'd be scoring 32 points a game, and they'd be losing the vast majority of games. Would they be losing? I mean, they're five. Why would they be losing? They're, yeah, they're five hundred teams. Put you second or third in the East. Miami has good players. They're excellently coached. They're well run. They're the best conditioned okay. team in the league. If they had Kyrie, they'd be a playoff team. I don't think that you know. Like, let me let me rephrase. Let's. It's it's worked out because he went to Boston. If he got traded to Phoenix, it'd be a totally different story. Well, he was in charge. That's the, the, true. Thing. I mean, yeah, I think I think he didn't go to Phoenix in part because. Well, actually, I think it's Denver that he was going to go to and basically told Denver, I'm not signing here. You shouldn't do this. So he did have. Hello? Hello? <laughs> oh, there goes Devin. <laughs> Airplane mode again? <laughs> I don't know. I'm like I'm driving now. I don't know if you could hear it. I'm, I'm on my way to get Carolyn. I'm gonna pick her up in like two minutes from school, so <laughs> I've already okay. out. Uh, should we just wrap it? Do we think there? there yeah, we should definitely wrap it. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess let me call call back. No, no I'm here. I'm here. Uh, sorry. Oh, hello. Yeah, my okay. earphones. My earphones died. Sorry. Okay, I have a heart out in like two minutes, maybe five. Um, but, uh, you, okay. bro- you broke up right when you said Denver. You were rolling. Um, yeah, I think Denver was going to get him, and and I think it seems like he told Denver, "I'm not signing here. You shouldn't do this." Um, and so, you know, there's no question that it was a gamble. I mean, but again, you're you're you know you're comparing him landing potentially in Denver or Phoenix with him being stuck in Cleveland. Right, without LeBron, so which I think is a virtual certainty. Um, I mean, Boston's going to be one of the best teams in the NBA for the next five to seven years. It's it's almost yeah. complete lock, barring yeah. more catastrophic injuries. And uh, I mean, nobody nobody's in a better spot than than like Jason Tatum and Kyrie right now. Like, uh, I hate to say it because I don't want to have to root for those teams, but you know, once the once the seventy sixes. I mean, this year they're not a factor probably, but in the future I'm going to have to root hard against the Celtics. But uh, they, uh, you know, being from, from there and being a, a big fan, but the, the Celtics are, are are really well positioned. Uh, they they still have draft picks coming to them. It's incredible. Yeah. Kyrie is is absolutely in a position to take the helm, be the be the guy for as long as he needs to be. And then even I could see five years from now or three or four years from now if he slows down. Still being in a good position as a different type of point guard uh, with you know Tatum and Jason, you know Tatum and Brown, and uh, I could just see the future of that team. It's going to be a, a very lucrative situation for him, uh, you know, just personally, reputationally, financially, in every respect, success-wise. So he, he comes off, you know, smelling like a rose here. Uh, <laughs> so, but it did. It was dicey. You know, he had to deal with, uh, you know deal with a lot of criticism for a few weeks and like maybe there's a lesson to be learned there about life and sort of making big risky moves you know people avoid short-term pain all the time and they they stay in the same place you know they stay in a job that may not have a bright future because they don't want to ruffle feathers uh so he, he 
deserves some credit, right? Just for that. That no, I mean that's why I'm all in on on Kyrie. I feel like he left an aging mall market team that was about to lose its franchise player again in a year that over the summer had so badly mismanaged and bungled its front office that it seemed a virtual certainty their destiny this season was to get steamrolled in the finals at best, just like they did this year. And he was able to parlay that into getting traded to one of the most stable and positive-facing franchises in the NBA. He won. And as a result, we win because we get all the recruits because it's 90% Kyrie Irving uh, enhancing our (laughs) reputation. Right, Pete? He could be the Boston Celtics point guard for the next 10 years. Yeah. No, they were going to benefit. The program benefits, uh, you know, by the logic. And it makes some sense that we do. Uh, You know, if our guys are winning championships and headlining, you know, winning teams, it's not a bad thing for the program. So it's a good reason to keep rooting for, for Duke in the NBA, even if you're not a huge the NBA, you know, fan or NBA fan, you just love college basketball, love Duke basketball, which a lot of us do. Uh, there is a good reason to kind of keep following in the NBA and rooting for our guys. Like Brandon Ingram, as goes Brandon Ingram, kind of goes our reputation somewhat because if he is a bust, what does that say about us, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think he can be a bust, but I don't think he can be a superstar, you know? Well, it looked like he might be. Last year, I mean, he was shooting 30% from the field. There was a chance it was going to work out that way. It looked like there was a chance. Obviously, he had a lot of talent. Um, but, uh, all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, uh, we, we, we talked so long, we had to break it into two parts. All right. The first two parts. <laughs> that's an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's what we're going to wind up uh, having done with this one. And, uh yeah, it's good to hear from you. We wanted to ask you a little bit about you know, some of the other stuff you've been up to, but we'll have to save it for next time. Um, for next time. I'll probably have more to report then anyway. So. Okay, sounds right. good. And next time we'll, we'll hopefully Okafor will play a little more NBA basketball so we can actually, actually maybe, maybe he'll wind up being the Hall of Famer. Yeah, <laughs> some people yeah right. that, would be, that would be a turnaround for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, it sounds great. Thanks, thanks so much for your another. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. All right, guys.